You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris and Sophie are off tonight. People living in a North Vancouver apartment complex are on edge tonight after a deadly shooting Christmas Day. A 25-year-old man was gunned down in the parkade. As Ramina Day explains, he was known to police and investigators believe the attack was targeted. Police now on the hunt for two persons of interest. After a gunman killed a man in the parking garage of a North Vancouver high-rise Christmas night. This happens every day. It's just alarming that it's happening in my backyard right now. The shooting may have been captured on surveillance cameras located everywhere in and outside the new high security building, which opened less than six months ago. The garage, you cannot enter unless you have a, a, an access to it as well. But uh, I, I think the problem is once you enter, people enter behind you. And that is, uh, that's obviously a major concern. The motive, unknown. The shooting targeted, says I hit. The integrated homicide investigation team tells us the victim, 25-year-old Rock Habib Juma, does not have a criminal record, but he is known to police. We don't know if there's anything that led up to the shooting. That's what we're asking for any witnesses or anyone with video to help us out by providing that. Descriptions of the two people police are looking for, sparse. The only detail, they were wearing black. We're looking to find out who these people are and, what, and determine what level of involvement they have with the shooting. Residents concerned for their safety. Just around the corner, another man was shot to death just before Christmas last year. Just to start off, we've had a couple of bad incidents here and hopefully everything gets better. Ramina Day at Global News. Heartless thieves have ruined Christmas for a family in Nanaimo. As they lay tucked in their beds in the wee hours of Christmas morning, a couple of Grinches were ransacking their home, taking stockings and wrapped presents from under the tree. Nadia Stewart reports. Came out of the bedroom and our living room, our front door was open like this. It was um, not at all what Joey Lands thought he'd see at 3 o'clock on Christmas morning. Stirred from his sleep. That's the door alarm that woke me up. Only to discover the front door and the fridge door wide open. The family home ransacked. Pretty much all the gifts are gone. Our stockings are all gone through. Thieves broke in through an unlocked kitchen window. Once inside, they rummaged through the kitchen and living room, stealing gifts, oh, yeah. helping themselves to a change of clothes. Yeah, sure. yeah, they took my shoes off the back porch here. Before taking off, leaving a family feeling both violated and devastated on Christmas Day. As a kid, you look forward to Christmas morning all year long, and uh, it's the best times as a kid, you know? You're just excited, and I just was so um, upset that I was going to crush that. Adding insult to injury, some of the gifts, the wrapping paper, and tags were strewn about the neighborhood. With the help of police, both lands and boys recovered what they could, quickly rewrapping the gifts before the children, ages 10 and 14, woke up. We, we told them this is what we have, but this is what we did have for you, and they were quite upset. It's hard not to feel and be filled with a, a lot of anger of how somebody could do that to your family. The theft happened just half a kilometer's drive away from another Nanaimo home where a violent home invasion took place in November. In this case, it's believed there are two suspects, both men. Police are appealing for witnesses to a heartless crime 
where more than just gifts were stolen. You know, everything comes right out of you. Um, you don't feel safe. I can't understand how any human being in any state could have done what they did. Nadia Stewart, Global News. Still on Vancouver Island, an emotional vigil today for two young sisters found murdered in their father's apartment last Christmas. The community of Oak Bay coming together this afternoon for a special sing-along to honor four-year-old Aubrey and six-year-old Chloe Berry. A temporary memorial has been set up around a tree near the playground at Willows Beach where the girls once loved to play. It will remain up until Sunday, allowing people to leave notes, flowers, and tributes to the Berry sisters. A year after their tragic deaths, emotions for many in the community are still raw. The community is still reeling. It's, uh, it's been a very hard uh, year, um, very shocking event. So it's, we're still in the process of going through the grieving process. It's affected everybody a little differently, um, but it certainly, uh, yeah, it still resonates quite strongly in our community. Aubrey and Chloe's father, Andrew, has been charged with two counts of second-degree murder in their deaths. His trial is set to begin in Vancouver in April. BC Hydro has restored power to 99% of customers who lost service during last Thursday's windstorm. Around 6,500 customers are still in the dark, and some will be without power for several more days. Officials plan to restore service to most of Vancouver Island Thursday, with the exception of Bamfield, which they expect to have back online Friday. However, some customers in the southern Gulf Islands, which saw the most damage, will have to wait until New Year's Eve. Another busy travel day on the Coquihalla, and drivers are being asked to take their time with more snow on the way. Traffic was moving along this afternoon, but there was heavy volume and some minor issues slowing things down. Crews were out all day clearing the highway, but in some areas, compact snow is creating slick conditions. And drivers are being urged to watch out for slippery and slushy spots. We got slushy compact sections. Um, People aren't driving really to road conditions, um, driving a little bit too fast, and they're spinning out, hitting the ditches. I pulled a few out so far today. We even noticed that we were getting uh, a little bit of icy road conditions. We were kind of sketchy on the roads there, and we had to pull into the rust area here and double check on our tires. A grim discovery Christmas Day at a rural property in Abbotsford. A man's body was found yesterday in a pond by a home on McClure Road. Police do not believe his death is suspicious, and they're asking anyone with information about the remains to give them a call. RCMP and Chase are hoping new surveillance images will help track down an arsonist responsible for a destructive blaze this past summer. Back on August 12th, a suspect set fire to a Royal Bank location on Shuswap Avenue. Newly recovered surveillance footage shows a man wearing a dark hooded sweatshirt entering the bank, pouring fuel on the ATM before torching it and running away. Cameras also caught a gray or silver hatchback speeding away from the scene. If you have any information about the suspect, contact RCMP. The World Junior Hockey Championships officially underway today, and it's a big boon for BC's economy with games in Vancouver and Victoria. Global's Sarah McDonald is outside Rogers Arena tonight where Team Canada has taken to the ice. Sarah, a lot of hype around this tournament. 
Jordan, that's right. And especially for our home team that is on the ice right now, already taking a sizable and strong five-goal lead over Denmark. We've been hearing cheers coming from Rogers Arena since the puck dropped at 5 o'clock tonight. The 2019 World Juniors is now officially underway. This tournament being hosted here in BC for the first time in more than a decade, and it's bringing with it an economic boost. The puck has officially dropped on one of the world's most popular hockey tournaments and the World Junior Championships is now taking center ice right here in BC. It gives hockey fans a, a great opportunity to see the best young players in the world. That influx of fans and players bringing with it an injection of cold hard cash to the tourism industry. I thank you for ticket. Keeping ticket brokers like Kingsley Bailey busy. Okay, man, thanks. Goodbye. My lunch dates off. People don't realize that on any given day, we're going to be looking at three to four potential NHLers that are going to be snipers. Somebody's going to be discovered in a tournament here and is going to be a superstar in three to four years. Restaurants, hotels, and merchandise retailers are all in for a seasonal boost, too. In both Vancouver and Victoria, both cities co-hosting the games for the first time in this province since 2005. Fans not only scooping up tickets, but jerseys too. Everyone's about to take out the jerseys and stuff again, so I'm glad it's here. Because no family outing is complete without the whole team in proper attire. Anything red and white, now a hot ticket. It's starting to kick up a lot now. We're getting a lot of phone calls and people are showing up. It's starting to get exciting, yeah. This tournament for many local sports fans is about much more than just the game itself. It's about getting out and representing Canada. Uh, the fact that... Uh, you know, we're, it's in our city. Though you'll want to keep a close eye on the teenage players. These athletes lacing up now on home ice, all future prospects for the big leagues. And here we go. And potentially the next stars of Canada's game. And that injection of tourism dollars uh, will continue well into the new year. This uh, tournament wraps with bronze and gold medal games on January 5th. Of course, many here hoping that Canada will be in that final four and take the top spot. But Jordan, this team's first order of business will be defeating Denmark tonight before taking on Switzerland tomorrow. All right, fingers crossed they can pull it off. Sarah McDonald reporting live tonight. Thanks, Sarah. Right now, though, the tradition of waking up before dawn to snag Boxing Day deals appears to be fading. While some stores offering deep discounts had big lineups today, many large retailers in the Lower Mainland did not see the same kinds of crowds we've come to expect. Grace Key reports. The eager bargain shoppers started lining up at 4 in the morning at the Best Buy on Canby Street in Vancouver. But with this line, it looks like they may have been able to get away with a few extra minutes of sleep. Are you surprised that there's more people here? I'm very surprised that there's only a few people here. <laughs> like, barely no one is here. Come on in, everybody. By the time the doors opened, there were fewer than 50 customers who walked in, and many getting their hands on a big screen TV. But was the early wake-up call worth it? Success? Yeah, yeah. Now time to go home and sleep. Uh, it was kind of worth it. Kind of. At downtown's Pacific Center Mall, the ropes were set up, but there was no one in queue. And some mixed reviews about the sales. Okay, not too good. Like last Boxing Day, uh, it was way better. Like it was up to 70% off. Good deal or not? Tell us what it was. Uh, no sales, just uh, we had to come here and get a jacket. 
by late morning, things started to pick up. At the MacArthur Glen Designer Outlet in Richmond, traffic was backed up to the Arthur Lang Bridge. YVR urged shoppers and travelers to take the Canada line or leave extra early for the airport as shoppers flocked for deals. 28% of uh, Canadians are actually going to go online or in store and, and at least look at deals uh, this coming Boxing Day. And that compares with about uh, 22% last year. At Michael Kors, it was 70% off the entire store, plus an additional 15% off. And with deals this good, just one purse isn't enough. Grace Key, Global News. And a new poll suggests many British Columbians should think twice about splurging on some Boxing Day deals. 43% of people polled say they will have anxiety over their holiday bills, despite nearly one in five people admitting they have been lured by deals. The bad financial habits don't stop there. 22% of people say they only pay the minimum balance on a credit card, while 10% of people buy something on credit that requires no payments for a while. Welcome back. Summers filled with flames and smoke have become all too familiar here in B.C. 2018 making history for all the wrong reasons. 1.25 million hectares went up in flames, costing the province hundreds of millions of dollars. Richard Zussman takes a look back at the worst fire season on record. Holy! It's the type of record best left unbroken. After 2017 was the most devastating fire season in the province's history, British Columbians were hoping for reprieve in 2018. And that is what we got for much of June and July. Then it started. July 18th, the Mount Aeneas fire burning between Summerland and Peachland. The house, the yard, everything is black. The fire spread through the Okanagan, getting to West Kelowna, endangering homes, wineries and other properties. It was uh, quite a hassle to get out there because, you know, traffic was only going one way, so I had to wait a good half hour and watch the hill burn. A local state of emergency declared for the region and the flames getting close enough to Highway 97. The region's main thoroughfare shut down. I've never seen it this bad until the last couple of years. A reminder that these fires have been commonplace in British Columbia. The terrain in many regions of the province dried out by summer heat. Infinite tinder to facilitate gigantic fires. You can just see it drying out. So with that means it's easier for ignition. It's easier for a fire to pick up and go. Like in summers past, the smoke from the interior drifting towards Vancouver, deteriorating the air quality. I bike around and it's bad. But this was just the beginning. As the flames died down in the Okanagan, wide areas of northern BC lit up with flames. By August 7th, 27 structures were wiped out by fire in the Telegraph Creek area. So burning in the far northwest is the Alkali Lake fire. Um, that one has caused the evacuation of a community called Telegraph Creek, so certainly a high priority fire, fire right now. At this point, there were more fires burning in British Columbia than any other day in the province's history, with 460 wildfires, and things were getting worse. Holy smokes. Prince George, ground zero, the gateway to the north surrounded by flames, evacuation alerts in Burns Lake, West Quinell, Fort St. James, and Fraser Lake. Just packing up some stuff. Yeah, getting, getting ready to get out of here. At the peak, there were more than 600 separate fires province-wide. 
The flames so out of control, the risk to homes too great. The province declaring on August 15th a provincial state of emergency for the second year in a row. And obviously the key priorities are the protection of public safety and property uh, and, uh, and that's how these decisions are made. The largest fire in the province was the Shovel Lake fire, growing to more than 92,000 hectares. Some of these buildings here are older than British Columbia itself. And what they've done is you can see they've set up sprinklers to run basically as long as they have to. All told, the fire season was the most destructive in the province's history. 1,351,000 hectares destroyed by fire. At the peak, more than 3,000 people on evacuation order, more than 20,000 on evacuation alert. The fires dotting the provincial map from Kimberley near the Rockies to lower post on the Yukon border. A province filled with smoke so thick it blocked out the sun in Prince George, plunging the community into darkness at 9.20 on a summer morning. Looks like late evening to me. Creepy. People across the province trying to live their lives. These men playing golf, the ball barely visible. Others desperately asking for help. We need people. We need more help. Richard Zussman, Global News. Christmas was anything but merry for an Edmonton couple who found themselves dealing with a travel nightmare. Their trip back to Alberta was delayed by 15 hours, causing them to miss most of Christmas Day. Julia Wong reports. We don't get a refund at all. They just gave us a $200 credit. It wasn't how they wanted their trip to the Dominican Republic to end. Jasmine Salazar and Mark Gazelle had spent a week relaxing on the beach. The couple was flying back to Edmonton on a Sunwing flight on Christmas Eve when the plane made a scheduled fuel stop in Hamilton, Ontario. We were told when we were on the plane that it was just a quick little stop and no one was getting off the plane. But passengers learned there was a maintenance issue, an experience Salazar captured on Instagram. Travelers had to disembark and go to a hotel, a process Salazar says took about five hours. They could have been better at communicating everything, and especially on Christmas Eve, like, we just want answers. We want to know what's going on. We want to know what the plan is for everyone to get home. By then, it was clear the couple wouldn't make it home in time. They finally arrived in Edmonton at 3 p.m. on Christmas Day. 15 hours after their scheduled arrival. I slept through it, basically. I fell asleep. <laughs> so it, it wasn't easy because everyone's tired. Like, so yeah, we're here for Jasmine's side of the family, right? Whatever's left of it. And we just fell asleep. To be honest, I, I cried because I was just so distraught at the fact that they, it almost seemed like they didn't care about us. They didn't care that we were missing our Christmas with families and that we were supposed to be home. The airline is offering a $200 voucher for passengers on the flight, but Salazar says that isn't enough. And they don't make up for Christmas because that they took a whole day of being with my family away. Like I can't, I can't get that back. In a statement, Sunwing says it's very apologetic for the inconvenience. The company has not yet responded to further questions about their communication and customers being delayed on Christmas Day. Julia Wong, Global News. In Indonesia, there are concerns tonight. Another tsunami could follow the deadly wave that killed more than 400 people on Saturday. As a precaution, locals are being told to keep away from the shoreline. That warning has a growing number of people seeking shelter. As Global's Abigail Beeman reports, that can be explained by fears stoked by the past. 
a new look at the damage in Indonesia from above. While on the ground, a thousand people pack this stadium-turned-shelter. My house wasn't actually damaged, says this woman. So why is she staying here? Too scared to go home. The death toll has held steady at 430, but since yesterday, the number of people seeking refuge climbed from 16,000... ...to about 22,000 people, and that is partly because people remember the tsunami of 2004, and they're afraid that this will happen again. 14 years ago to the day, an earthquake and tsunami battered South Asia and parts of Africa, killing a quarter of a million people and leaving two million homeless. Indonesia was hit the hardest. And while today's government has been criticized for no warning about this tsunami... Margareta Siregar responded to both disasters. She says Indonesia has come a long way in 14 years, better contingency plans, and more people understand how to evacuate. There are a lot of improvements happen, but still, I think we still have to realize that we, we don't understand enough about disaster. Today, people are still being told to stay away from the coast, and there are new problems with flash flooding in an area already battered. Some of the areas are still uh, inaccessible right now. This official says several states of emergency have been declared. It will stay in place in the worst-hit area until January 4th. Overall, World Vision says short-term needs are being addressed, but there's a bigger problem longer-term as people try to rebuild their lives. As just one example, in one community, 600 boats were lost or damaged, a huge blow to the tourism industry alone. Abigail Beeman, Global News. An earthquake has rocked the southern Italian island of Sicily, injuring at least 10 people. The shaker was triggered by the Mount Etna volcano, which has been spewing ash in recent weeks. The 4.8 magnitude quake struck early this morning, sending many locals running into the streets. One elderly man had to be rescued from his home. The damage is extensive. A hot air balloon carrying a pilot and 15 passengers has landed safely in southeastern Australia after its basket caught fire mid-flight. The balloon took off under challenging circumstances before making an emergency landing about 45 minutes later. The balloon's basket was destroyed by the fire. One passenger, a 27-year-old woman, has minor injuries and was taken to hospital for observation. After nearly two years in office, U.S. President Donald Trump has made his first visit to a combat zone. He and the First Lady touched down in Iraq to meet with troops. But while on the ground there, Trump turned attention to issues back at home, like the government shutdown and money for his border wall. Today, President Trump making a surprise visit to U.S. troops in Iraq, his first trip to a combat zone as commander-in-chief, something he had faced criticism for not doing during his nearly two years in office. Thank you. President and First Lady Melania Trump thanking troops for their service. We came to al-Assad to share our eternal gratitude for everything you do to keep America safe. But President Trump also focused on the battle over border wall funding back at home as the partial government shutdown reaches day five. How long do you think the shutdown will last, Mr. President? Uh, whatever it takes. I mean, we're going to have a wall. Something Democrats have said they will not fund and critics say will not work. They will neither stop 
uh, illegal immigration, nor do they stop drug trafficking. Negotiations at a standstill since Saturday. The stalemate coming as Customs and Border Protection faces new scrutiny following the death of an eight-year-old migrant child in U.S. custody. The agency says the child was taken to a hospital for treatment and died late Christmas Eve, becoming the second migrant child in U.S. custody to die just this month. Last week, Homeland Security Secretary Kirsten Nielsen grilled about the first death. Uh, sir, what I can tell you I'm is... I'm talking about people who have died in your custody. You don't have the number? I will get back to you with the number. Okay. The government now ordering medical checks on every migrant child in its custody. Blaine Alexander, NBC News, Washington. An emotional holiday for a young Edmonton father diagnosed with a rare terminal cancer. This holiday could be the last one he gets to spend with his family. And with his time uncertain, he's trying to live life to the fullest and hoping to inspire others to do the same. Sarah Krause has the story. At 39, Chris Sargent is dealing with life insurance documents. Everything was normal, right? I was, like I said, I was ready to go back to work and our family had lots of plans and we were looking at Christmas plans and just all of a sudden, just like everything stopped. In August, he had stomach pain. It turned out to be stage four bile duct cancer. There's no words to describe it. It's such a shock. Test revealed a tumor on his liver the size of a grapefruit. The cancer was also in his lungs and lymph nodes. Surgery to say remove some of the cancer, remove the tumors isn't, isn't an option for me right now. Um, there, there's too many and they're in, in, in places that are um, really difficult to operate. A few days later, his world rocked again. Sergeant's wife is pregnant. The emotions were overwhelming already and then to learn that you have another baby coming is, is pretty cool. It's like some good news, but also at the same time, um, it's, it makes things even, even more scary. He doesn't want to leave his wife as a single mother of two. His doctor says the outlook is bleak. Unfortunately, survival is measured in months uh, for these patients because uh, it uh, progresses quite fast and the chemotherapy regimens are, are not, as, uh, not as good as we want. Bile duct cancer is rare and deadly. The most common symptoms patients show up with is usually jaundice, weight loss, fatigue, and uh, having some abdominal pain. Uh, and the problem is that these symptoms don't show up uh, till, um, until the cancer is at an advanced stage. Sargent is undergoing chemotherapy and various clinical trials at the Cross Cancer Institute to try and extend his life. He wants to meet his baby. I'm a positive person and I keep thinking that um, this can't be the end. As an avid hiker, marathon runner, and healthy eater, Sargent doesn't know why he got this cancer, but he's hopeful sharing his battle will inspire others. All of our lives are precious and could be short-lived, and uh, there's a lot that we should be thankful for. Sarah Krause, Global News. Welcome back. With today's winter weather in the Okanagan, it can be a long, cold day for the homeless, but not in West Kelowna. That's because the city's first 24-hour shelter opened its doors during the Christmas break, providing a roof over the heads of dozens who have no place to call home. Kelly Hayes has the story. With the arrival of snow on Boxing Day, the opening of a temporary homeless shelter in West Kelowna is timely. It's located at the United Church Building. We're pretty grateful that we got open just before Christmas, get people in out of this weather. Rosemary Wayhill runs the shelter. She says demand has been steady, but slow. 
was a slow opening on Saturday with people going home for Christmas and holidays. I believe they only had nine overnight. The shelter can accommodate 30 right now, but there are hopes to expand it to 40 once the bunk beds arrive. Winter shelters are nothing new to West Kelowna. They've been around for about four years, but this is the first 24-hour shelter where those who use it don't have to leave during the day. There are an estimated 100 homeless people in West Kelowna. Well, I'm homeless and uh, I, I needed a place to stay. Daniel is one of them. He has fallen on hard times. He says without the shelter, he'd be on the streets trying to survive. Living out on the street is very tough. It's very tough just to get a meal sometimes. You know, you have to fight, go across town or whatever you have to do to get to that destination or, uh, you know, get clothing, you know, just keep it clean and stuff like that. It's really hard to do. So now you can do it all here and uh, you can shower properly, uh, which makes a big difference, eh? And, uh, a person's appeal and so on, right, uh, in order to get a job to move forward. The opening of this West Kelowna shelter means there will be five homeless shelters operating in the central Okanagan, but that number will soon be down to four again, because in from the cold and Kelowna will be closing its doors at the end of this month as it struggles to find a new home. Kelly Hayes, Global News, West Kelowna. We can see the snow falling on Kelly there, Yvonne, and snow is coming to other parts of the province as well. Yeah, we're still tracking a bit, especially this evening. The Okanagan will taper off to flurries by the overnight. A shot right now uh, as we take a look outside Metro Vancouver. The airport reporting dry conditions. We're sitting at 4 degrees, a northeasterly wind at 11 kilometers per hour. It has been cooler for today, but a warm-up is on the way, and I'll show you more with your five-day forecast in just a moment. A few isolated showers just across Metro Vancouver, but a break is in behind it. And this is what we're looking at for Thursday and then Friday. The next weather maker is going to push in. Most areas along the coast will be looking at rain, but interior sections, the return for some snow. Heading along the mountain passes this evening, here's a current shot of what it looks like on the Coquihalla. Still an additional two and up to four centimeters. The Sea to Sky, Allison Pass and Kootenay Pass could still see up to two centimeters this evening. Rogers Pass flurries, but it really will ease off overnight. It'll be much easier if you're traveling along the mountain passes on Thursday. Thursday, but a different weather story will kick in on Friday. Here's the future cast putting it into play for the morning hours across the south coast. Some bright spots, sunshine, and then an increase in cloud cover by the afternoon. Tomorrow evening, we'll see showers across the board. And then by our Friday morning, we are going to look at rain and the potential for some wet snow, especially along higher elevations and snowfall pushing in towards the interior. Wet and windy along the coast. We are going to see uh, Prince Rupert, the potential tomorrow up to 60 kilometers per hour. Inland still seeing flurries two and up to four centimeters. A chilly start and a chilly day across the piece with the wind chill feeling into the minus 20s for the morning hours. Some sunshine across the central interior tomorrow. There will be more cloud cover for the southern interior but it's mainly dry. The moisture does really pick up and that'll be on Friday. Whistler tomorrow mainly cloudy with a high of minus one. Along the island northern and central sections could see a chance of showers as early as the morning hours but most areas across the south coast we will be looking at that rain pushing in it'll be on friday and saturday soggy days and then it'll ease off if you're making plans for the weekend sunday will be the brighter one and milder one there's the temperature bumping back up to nine degrees and tonight we'll leave you with a beautiful shot that was taken in black pines by terry from this morning perfect christmas shot thank you yvonne Boxing Day tradition, World Juniors, yes. and a bonus when you don't have to wake up early to watch the World Juniors. Actually, you know what's a bigger bonus is having it in Canada. Because yeah. the IIHF, the International Ice Hockey Federation, loves this tournament to be in Canada. Or if you're going to have it in the United States, have it in the city that's really close to Canada. Yeah.
Don't have it in Florida because they'll make lots of money and get lots of fans. And the opening game, Canada and Denmark. Well, it's festive for Canada. It's season's beatings for the Danes. We'll show you some of that. Canada and Denmark on the ice tonight. Yes, and you kind of know that this one's going to be a bit lopsided. This (laughs) is the one where your arms get tired from putting them up all the time because you score so much. Uh, Having any kind of big hockey tournament that includes Rogers Arena is actually good karma for Canada. 2010 Olympics, they were there, and of course Canada won gold with both the men and women. And if you go back to 2006, the first time we held the World Juniors in this province, Canada won gold, and they did it with a team that really wasn't all that talented. Blake Como was the leading scorer, and he's basically a journeyman, I would say, in the NHL. Anyway, Canada-Denmark first game, and if this was soccer, Denmark would be the power, but in hockey, it's Canada. Morgan Frost gets the first one. Nice little move down low. Flyers prospect 1-0 for the Canadians. Owen Tippett, 2-0 for Canada. 3-0 at this point because Frost scored again. Then Max Comtois will get the shot and his own rebound, 4-0. Morgan Frost. Hat trick already, and it's a Canuck prospect goaltender Mike DiPietro that actually starts this play. It's 8-0 after two for the Canadians over the Danes. All right, Tyler Madden, he is the other Canucks prospect with the U.S. team. Of course, the big one is Quinn Hughes, but Madden with a chance right here, almost against the Slovakians. Slovakia had a 1-0 lead after two, then the Americans scored just enough to beat them. Mikey Anderson on the power play. That made it 1-1. And then Madden gets an assist here on what proved to be the winning goal, Evan Barrett scoring. So the Americans, who are starting the tournament over in Victoria, nice backhand, they beat the Slovaks 2-1. Now, because of the World Junior Tournament going on, the Canucks, of course, are off on a six-game road trip. It will start tomorrow in Edmonton. Five of the six games will stay in Canada. Edmonton, Calgary, Ottawa, Montreal, Toronto. The only non-Canadian stop will be, of course, New Jersey. Davos and Canada Spangler Cup. Oh, it's Kevin Bieksa, who still doesn't have an NHL contract. Would like one. We'll see how he does here. First goal for Canada, who have won this tournament 15 times, Zach Boychuk. This is made up of players like... Bieksa, who are looking for a contract. Guys who play in Europe, some guys who play in the minors. That made it 1-0 for Canada. Bieksa, as I said, he wants back in the NHL. So there's a way to get people's attention. Lay the big check on Andres Umbel. One more look. This is clean. So Bieksa, just like the old days with the Canucks. Zach Fucali, who once led Canada to a World Junior Gold Medal, that was like 2015, and he was a great junior goalie, and a lot of people thought he'd be a good NHLer, drafted by Montreal, but has never made the NHL. He's in the minors. Still one nothing. Matt D'Agostini will score here, former NHLer. That made it 2 nothing in the second. Canada holds on for what proved to be a 2-1 win over Davos. That is not what you want to see if you're a Lakers fan, or... The NBA doesn't want to see that either. LeBron in pain, yes. Tweaked his groin against Golden State yesterday. Even though the uh, Lakers lost and they rallied for the win. He heard it reaching for a loose ball in the third quarter. Had an MRI. It came back clean, so he's out day to day. He won't play tomorrow's game in Sacramento. Off 
too jolly old. Uh, English Premier, Liverpool, top team in the Premier League right now, taking on Newcastle. Lovren made it 1-0 in the 11th. Then Salah from the spot. It was a Boxing Day knockout. Oh, that was too easy. Uh, Shakiri 4-0 the final, Liverpool over Newcastle. Manchester City in danger of falling to third at Leicester City. It's blue on blue, basically. Light blue against dark blue here. Bernardo Silva, 1-0. 14th minute. Jamie Vardy finds Mark Albrighton. Oh, very nice. But not as nice as this. Ricardo Pereira. About 10 minutes left. Oh, that's brilliant. Or magnificent. One more look. Leicester City beats Man City. Here's a look at today's snow report. Some snow falling on a number of the mountains here, especially in the south coast. Whistler Blackcomb Base, 210 centimeters. Grouse, 182. 200 Cypress, 171 Sasquatch. Revelstoke, a base of 181 centimeters, about 160 Fernie. Manning Park, 126. And 173 centimeter base at Whitewater. Big White's base, 133. 140 Silver Star. And Sun Peaks, 115. A little snow has fallen there. Kicking Horse, a base of 142. 175. Mount Washington and Powder King 182 centimeter base. The story of the year for me is the legalization of marijuana and how the country was getting ready for this historic moment. Everything from how it would be sold and marketed to how police would deal with it and the boom in production and stock market swings for manufacturers. Wednesday, October 17th, the first sale of legalized marijuana coming at midnight in Newfoundland. Job done. In Kamloops, BC's first cannabis store opens. The product displayed in a slick-looking showroom and cannabis consultants on hand to help with all the weed-related questions, helping customers narrow down their choice from a large selection. It's beautifully set up. The staff is very friendly. You know, uh, I'm, it's, a great, it's a great environment in there. It's beautiful in there. There's so much to look at, so much to smell. But, yeah, i got to say that putting an order in was pretty exciting. One of my favorite stories this holiday season has a really happy ending, but it didn't begin that way. Back in early November, we told you about a mother and her disabled daughter. (laughs) Crystal Smith and her daughter Lily were homeless and living in their van. With temperatures dropping, they were really worried about surviving the winter months. What's the hardest part of being in this situation? Watching her suffer. Knowing she's having seizures, um, knowing she once had a 25-minute grand mal seizure, and it almost didn't make it, and it's scary. It's, it's terrifying. Their story prompted an outpouring of support. Global viewers helping them financially and finding them a home in Metro Vancouver. Uh, we are overjoyed, uh, we're overwhelmed, overjoyed. How grateful we are for everybody for their, their support and their love and, of course, their generosity. Uh, we really did not expect this. Crystal and Lily are now safe, warm, and able to plan a future, in large part because of you. 
Thank you, and happy holidays. Well, when it comes to a local sports story, you could have gone one of two ways. The emerging young stars like Alfonso Davies, so great for the Whitecaps in 2018 that Bayern Munich gave the Caps a ton of money to get him over to Germany. And the Canucks' two young stars, Brock Besser and Elias Pettersson, both ripping it up, both giving Canuck fans hope for the near future. But I think the better story is the departure, the goodbye, the emotional goodbye to two old stars, the Sedin brothers, who were with the Vancouver Canucks from the year 2000 until 2018. And their last week in the NHL turned what was a meaningless week for the Vancouver Canucks into something very meaningful. Cameron, back for Daniel. Let's it go, he scores! So which tie and haircut did you like? The one I have now or they the one you just saw nice. a few seconds the ago? The one was nice, but they both look good. You move good. fast. I yeah. Very fast. Yeah, it's just quick. Here. My hair, I pulled it long and I put it back this way. <laughs> quick right. word on the weather? Uh, we are looking at a much drier day for tomorrow and then Friday, the return for some wet weather. So if you're commuting also along the mountain passes, the snow is going to ease off, especially for the overnight tonight. All right. We leave you with Christmas lights, the best and the brightest. Have a great night. Thank you.